The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're talking about stealth predators. Who are they? How do we protect ourselves? Does our culture lend itself to the misuse of others? We have three guests today to discuss this topic, Dr. Wendy Patrick, Vic Shermer, and Dr. Bob Klein. The idea for this show comes from the important article entitled The Stealth Predator by Dr. Wendy Patrick in the June issue of Psychology Today. Dr. Patrick is the Deputy District Attorney in the Special Operation Divisions in San Diego. She is recognized by her peers as one of the top 10 criminal attorneys in San Diego and named the Public Lawyer of the Year by the California State Bar Public Law Section. In her previous assignment in the Sex Crimes and Human Trafficking Division, Dr. Patrick prosecuted sexually violent predators, human traffickers, stalkers, rapists, and child molesters. She is the author of Red Flags, How to Spot Frenemies, Underminers, and Ruthless People, and the co-author of Reading People. She has an online column in Psychology Today, a regular column in Law Enforcement Quarterly, and has been quoted in a variety of sources such as the New York Times, USA, U.S. News and World Report, and many more. She has a vast media presence. Dr. Wendy Patrick, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Wendy, you have done so much work and been so recognized for it in terms of prosecuting those who have overtly broken the law. What prompted your interest in the stealth predator? Well, you know, Suzanne, one of the things that really distinguishes the stealth predator is you don't see these guys coming. You know, it's easy, or I should say it's easier to avoid dangerous people that look dangerous. We all know that. We don't necessarily need to have extra skills of perception to to really call out those that both look and sound dangerous. This stealth predator looks good. It sometimes can be any, any type of combination of charm, flattery, they're charismatic, they're confident, they're credible, they have prestigious positions of status, and all the while their intentions are completely malevolent. And it's that hiding behind a mask of good, shall we say, that makes the stealth predator so dangerous. Now, what is it about a person that would cause them to hide behind their mask as the boss, as the coach, as the manager, and actually violate the loyalty, as you say, and in some way exploit people? What have you found prompted it? 
exploit is the perfect word to use. That's exactly what they do. They build these relationships of trust and power imbalance. Now, what motivates them, sadly, it can be money, it can be sex, it can be any number of vices that motivate criminal behavior generally. The difference is that when somebody in a position of status is accused, you see people rallying around not wanting to believe that somebody of that caliber is capable of committing these kinds of crimes. Now, in terms of why, you know, you've, you've got a, a two distinguished psychologists coming up behind me that can probably right. answer the why, as, as can you, in terms of what motivates somebody to, to break the law and to do this, whether it's psychopathy to pedophilia to, you know, everything in between. The difference, though, is it is, it is very hard for victims to find the courage and the strength to come forward when somebody is in that kind of position of power because they fear they, being the one of far less status, won't be believed. And I know one of the things you say is they're really looking for someone vulnerable enough to reveal enough for them to be able to blackmail, discredit, etc. So let's talk a little bit about, you call it in the article, the Predator Toolkit, Wendy. Let's talk about some of the things our listeners, we can raise our listeners' consciousness about in terms of how these stealth predators operate. Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think your listeners will be able to relate to some of these. And the first one I always cite is this idea of selective attention. Uh, you see this a lot in the romance department where you have a manipulator who feigns a unique interest in a particular person. And by the way, it could be male or female. It could be the manipulators or the victims. It's that selective attention paid to somebody that makes them feel so special. You know, they've done speed dating studies where they've really found how this works. It's, it's not flattering to have the attention of somebody that gives everybody attention. It's uniquely flattering to have somebody zeroing in and being interested in you. And this mm. is something that it, you don't have to be low on the totem pole in terms of status to be vulnerable this way. That is why the stealth predator is so dangerous. Everybody has a crack in the armor. There's mm-hmm. something about everyone that they would be uniquely susceptible to flattery, whether it's your intellect, your looks, your capability, your athletic prowess, whatever it is. That sex selective attention is one of the main things the sexual predator or the financial predator or whatever it is, uh, we'll even call this person the social predator for the way they operate, has in his or her, her toolkit. Mm, mm. Now, one of the things you add to this is sometimes the select the uh, stealth predator does a lot of oversharing to invite oversharing as the response of the victim, but they never share anything they can be held accountable for. So people should also be aware when someone's sharing a little bit too much when they hardly That's- know them. That's right. And, you know, Suzanne, I call this the, um, the open nook because nobody reads books anymore. But this is what they do. So you have stealth predators that are willing to share lots of information about themselves in order to invite reciprocity. Whether we want to or not, we are, we almost feel compelled to reciprocate when somebody mm-hmm. reveals a lot of information. We're flattered that they trust us with all this information and we want to do the same. The difference, and normally is only looked at in retrospect, is that the Stealth predator usually shares information about themselves that's what I'll call G-rated fiction. 
a, a paramour cheated on them. They lost a job because somebody did something bad to them. In other words, there's really nothing incriminating that they're sharing. It's a sob story. It makes you feel sorry for them. Sadly, what you end up sharing sometimes is incriminating information. And now they have blackmail information that they can use against you. So, yes, it's not necessarily a bad thing if somebody, for whatever reason, shares what my students call TMI, too much information. Mm -hmm. But if the design is to get you to reciprocate, that's when it becomes dangerous. You do not owe a stranger anything. Somebody can sit next to you on a bus and talk all day long, and you are not obligated socially, morally, or otherwise to say one word about yourself, your family, your children. Don't share any cell phone photos. There is nothing you're required to do in return, because that is not in every case, but that is, again, one more tool the stealth predator has in the toolkit. And and when I thought about it, one other thing you mentioned which really fit was this kind of fictional similarity that they start saying how similar they are to the victim or look at little pieces of the conversation to build a kind of fictional similarity. That's right, the seduction of similarity, and there's plenty of research on this. We are drawn to people who are like us, we, whether they look like us, talk like us, have the same background, live in the same place. I mean, there have been studies that, you know, people get married that live and grow up in the same neighborhoods. There's just so much bonding opportunity with somebody that's like you. The psychopathic fiction, uh, as, as it's been coined, is these people that will honestly learn what they need to learn about you to present themselves as if they were that similar to you. So that requires some research on their part, which isn't hard to do in the Internet age. But, yeah, it's exactly right. It's not true. Um, You would like to think that some of these people can't keep it up forever in terms of pretending to be similar. But it's amazing how easy it is, whether it's strategizing your outfit, your lingo, the way you talk, what you say, what you know about the other person, to seem similar enough to let the other person let their guard down and that's Mm -hmm. the danger and that's when you're going to self-disclose or at the very least be susceptible to that ruse of reciprocal disclosure where you're going to reveal information you certainly shouldn't. Mm. Now, two things you mentioned and I thought mostly in terms of when someone's a new employee or someone is being mentored, whether it's in the um, entertainment business or uh, in um, Wall Street, you talk about the captive audience and red flags after 5 p.m. Right. Well, you know, the captive audience, um, this has been going on for years. I mean, this, this is where somebody in a position of power is able to strategize their surroundings to engage in sexual assault, sexual harassment, boundary probing behavior out of sight of everyone else. And, you know, I've handled lots of cases where you had office furniture, um, things at a gym, really laid out to where there's no view of cameras. There's this almost uncomfortable sense of privacy. You know, a moving vehicle, by the way, is one of the oldest tricks to get somebody in a small space Mm -hmm. for accidental touching or whatever else it is. I think a lot of your listeners no doubt know that. But there's so many other ways to create a captive audience. The, The red flags after five idea, this is very important. We think we know people because because we work with them or we see them during the day. After 5 p.m., that's when a lot of people get off of work, you really learn more about somebody when you know how they spend their free time. And 
then and only then are you going to learn what's most important to them. When somebody gets off of work, do they go to the gym? Do they go to the beach? Do they go to the bar? What do they do? Where do they go? Who do they associate with? The answers to those questions tell you far more about someone than the good behavior you see them on during the workday where we are almost equalized by all having the same job among the people we work with. So you got to know what somebody does after work to learn what you need to learn about them to know whether or not they are safe. It's interesting how many of the Me Too stories, Wendy, involved the after-work invitation um, at the hotel or, as you say, in the car. But um, do I have this right? You're suggesting in your conversation with this uh, talker, it's worth you finding out in some way what the rest of their life is, what they actually do after work, so that you know what you are walking into and if it is somewhat of a trap. Absolutely. And, and the key there, Suzanne, is are they going to tell you the truth about it? You know, that's yeah. part of this, this fiction, you know, is many people really talk a good game about all the different philanthropic things and generous parts of their lives. But unless you have an independent way of verifying any of this, that's not to say we should be completely paranoid about everybody we meet. But, you know, you have friends and people know each other. And, of course, there's social media, the digital footprint. And everybody's got to assume we're all going to be looking at that. That's what people do. I mean, when they start to get to know each other is they look at each other online. So there are lots of ways other than asking, although that's not a bad thing, because remember, that goes back to the attention. It's never a bad thing to have casual conversation about what we do outside of work. So it's really a combination of factors in getting to know somebody in pursuit of promoting healthy relationships. So the key is to separate the dangerous from the desirable. Mm. One of the things in the vignettes you share in the article that worried me for victims is that, okay, so I've been had by someone. I've sent him pictures. He now has pictures of me in bathing suits, and I stopped hearing from him. I don't know where to go with this because I feel so much shame and blame, Wendy. I don't think people will even believe my story. So as a prosecutor, where do I go with it? Do I just heap? See, my worry is now I am even in a more vulnerable position because I feel I have been had. Yeah, you know, the the one comfort that many victims share is there are so many people that have fallen prey to this. And, you know, within with consenting relationships, people do this. They don't realize that the kinds of things they send are going to end up on the Internet. We do nowadays, but there's many people that still do it. And it's one of those lapses in judgment that is very embarrassing. It's humiliating. It's just, you know, you name it in terms of all the, re- all the things people feel that would lead them to fear that that's going to be disclosed. And of course, that's why they don't come forward. But, you know, safety in numbers, that's one of the things that characterized the hashtag Me Too movement. It also characterizes cases where you have one stealth predator that is amassing a number of different victims. Once somebody comes forward, right. the other ones are feel more comfortable saying, you know what, I did the same thing. And that is part of the case. You know what, like I always say in court, patterns make the predator. That mm. is part of the way in which we are able to learn more about the strategy and the sophistication that certain stealth predators use. So when you talk about these folks as being having uncharged misconduct, if in fact 
there were five people in the office stepping up, we might have a shot at undoing the stealth predator. Well, uncharged misconduct doesn't necessarily need to be criminal. And what I mean is, you know, credibility is huge when you have a, you know, I hate to say a he said, she said, because it's also evidence. What does the evidence say, as we like to say in court? But when you have an let's say, uncorroborative allegation, and you, the credibility of the victim is at issue, she, she or he doesn't want to come forward. If there's some part of what they're relating that is corroborated by things that the, the perpetrator has done in the past, that is very important, even if those prior acts would never rise to the level of being crimes. You're, mm-hmm. just, you're looking for circumstances in common. You know, sometimes we say MO, modus operandi, because it is true, one of the ways we eventually catch these predators is they do tend to follow patterns. They do things the same way. So yes, it is worth looking at others who have been targeted, maybe not been sexually harassed or or had a sex crime committed against them, but can at least talk about some of the boundary violating or boundary probing behavior that in other cases led and culminated to sexual harassment or sexual battery. That is all helpful background information. And you know what? If we ever get into court, it's very helpful for the jury. Okay. In the interest of time, can you give our listeners a take-home message, Wendy? You know, the take-home message is when you're building new relationships, move slow and steady. There is never a reason to rush into anything as good as it sounds, as, as, as good as it feels, and as good as the other person makes you feel. That selective attention may be genuine, and there are many wonderful people in the world. In fact, most people, there's one thing I've learned in my 22 years of being a prosecutor, most people are good. Our concern is weeding out the stealth predators that aren't. So slow and steady, get to know the people you're becoming friends with, and you're on your way to building happy and healthy relationships. Wendy, thank you so much. Thank you for your work with so many. Um, We will give all your information at the end of the show. For now, thank you for helping us recognize the stealth predators. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're going to take a brief break. We've been talking with Wendy Patrick, attorney and the author of Stealth Predators in Psychology Today. We're going to be coming back to speak with psychologist and psychotherapist Vic Sherma, who's going to answer the question, how do we protect ourselves from the stealth predator? Stay with us. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective. Your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. 
This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to the Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking about the stealth predator. We're going to continue our discussion now with psychotherapist Vic Shermer, who's going to be answering, how do we protect ourselves? Vic Shermer is a licensed psychologist and psychoanalytic psychotherapist. He's a group therapist in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's the founding director of Outpatient Addictions Services as Miramont Treatment Center and faculty at the Institute for Psychoanalytic Psychotherapies. He's a life fellow of the American Group Psychotherapy Association. He's edited and authored many books, the most recent being Meaning, Mind, and Self-Transformation. And with our other guest, Bob Klein, his new book is Violence in America. Vic Shermer, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Yeah, morning. Glad to be with you. Yes. Um, so, Vic, in our conversations about the stealth predator and the social predator, you mentioned that social predators take advantage of people's vulnerabilities to press their agendas. What makes us psychologically vulnerable? Yeah, you know, Wendy mentioned that, too. And I was when she was talking about that, I remember that some years ago I worked in an organization where there was a perfect example of a stealth predator. He was the most charming guy. He came on board, and his he was given a position that he didn't particularly want, but his he wanted to take another position that he, so of higher authority. So he he confided in me, and he told me he was going to undermine the a person in the job mm. uh, to get the job, and he charmed charmed the. Uh, the director of the facility and eventually got the job and it caused a lot of hurt to this other fellow who was very vulnerable at the time I remember he was going through a lot of issues with his self-esteem very stressed out these self-predators and a lot of people in our culture actually uh, you know take advantage of our um our vulnerabilities, where we're hurting, where we don't know something, where we have complexes or issues that we haven't resolved, and that's where they move in and make their their uh, get control. Why uh, do you, so why do you think I, he shared that with you in a boastful way? Why do you think he let you know his goal? Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but basically he was narcissistic, and he rather mm-hmm. enjoyed telling me how he would, he had the skill that he had to be able yeah. to to manipulate people. 
Interesting. Uh, but I, I want to focus on the vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. These people, we, we all have hurts of some kind. And, you know, there's no human being who isn't going through something at some point in their lives. And uh, one of the things that a stealth predator will really home in on is somebody who is going through a particularly difficult time, like uh, grief and loss, lost a loved one. Uh, divorce is very, uh, a breakup of a relationship. Uh, stealth predators almost have a radar for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, financial difficulties where the person is desperate to get a raise or, or a promotion uh, for survival reasons almost. Uh, a serious illness. And they're trying to maintain their job while they have a serious illness. And uh, a trauma. Uh, I'm guessing, but... I would suspect after the 9-11 uh, uh, terrorist attacks that there were a lot of these stealth predators, some of them used that to manipulate people uh, yes. who were hurt, who were wounded from the, from the, from the 9-11. Uh, so uh, we have to be especially aware and conscious when we're going through something difficult to take care of ourselves. Uh, to to be aware of people that might might not really have our best interest in mind. Another situation. Another situation which Wendy didn't mention, but it occurs to me that when we move into a new job or or go to a university or a life situation where we don't know any of the people. Mm-hmm. I imagine that we were particularly vulnerable then. Uh, yes. You know, we have to take time to develop trust with the people that we're involved with because we don't know them well. We haven't. We don't know who they are. So we need to be especially take time, not get pulled into promises and all kinds of uh, uh, magical uh, wishes. For, for that somebody might might misuse, we have to take our time and get adjusted to the situation and get to know the people we're going to be working with. Um, a very important uh, vulnerability that uh, really these people prey upon is low self-esteem and feelings of inadequacy. So if we're not really really sure of ourselves, we often want somebody to build us up and give us a break. And we're mm-hmm. looking for that person that comes along and says, you're great, and I'm going to make you really successful. Um, we should realize that people who really care about other people and, and are ethical, they don't promise us things. They don't promise us solutions. They're more likely to give us useful information about what we can do to help ourselves. That's such um, a good point. And then... You know, um, we some folks are very dependent on others' approval and promises. Those folks need to be especially alert. Uh, they they're looking for somebody to kind of almost take them over and make them feel good, mm-hmm. and they have to be especially careful. Uh, that happens a lot. For example, in the film culture in Hollywood, you know, there's a sort of, people go there, they want to be stars, and that's a lot of what leads to the sexual abuse as well as, 
these kinds of other manipulations. And uh, finally, people get so caught up in success in our society, it's everybody really, that we forget that just having a good day, doing the right thing, keeping our stress levels uh, down, working on, on taking care of our, ourselves, those are much more important to our health and well-being than success. And mm-hmm. all the research in, in psychology and medicine shows that, you know, just living a good life and, and loving ourselves and others is much more important for our health and well-being than any success we could achieve. But everybody gets caught up in the, either the rat race or trying to be a star. And, and those things are relatively unimportant. So we should, we should really try to remember that on a daily basis. One of the things that you're saying in, in each of the cases that really rings true, and I think of some cases, is the, the need piece. And when I think of people who've had a recent trauma, as you say, whether it's the loss of someone, a divorce, a job um, rupture, in some ways we know that after a trauma there's a bit of a cognitive fog, there's a wish for a magical answer, so um, I'm liking that you're reminding people, let's not blame ourselves, but let's be aware that at certain times we're more vulnerable. What someone else sees as, this is too good to be true, so it's probably not true, you don't see at that point because you really need life to be better quickly. But very often it's hard to see who the predators are. So I'm really liking that you're reminding people, if you're a little shaky, be aware of your judgment as to who it is you'll trust. And maybe it should never just be one person. Maybe um, one of the things Wendy mentioned, and I know we all feel it as group people, that when someone's promising you the world, it's good to check this out with other people. What would you say? Yeah, I, I think one of the ways that we can help ourselves, and everybody is vulnerable to these people. Uh, that's another thing to remember. You're not, a, you're not, you know, some, you know, you're not maladjusted necessarily if you get caught up in this stuff. And it's very important to have a support system, as you're saying, to actually create a support system of people in your life. This can help with many, many things that you can turn to for honest feedback and help. And I think that should include a couple of close friends and also probably an attorney and a counselor or therapist that you could use even for a consult, one-time visit. Um, and, And people in your support system should be good listeners. And very importantly, they should be able to maintain your confidentiality because Mm -hmm. one of these predators can really misuse that if they know something is going on. So, but if you have a support system, you're much better off than if you try to deal with these people by yourself. And that's what happens a lot of times. Like the example Wendy gave, the person, uh, the woman was afraid to talk to, to her boss about the problem because it involves things involving sex, so she couldn't confide in, that, in her boss. So she was all alone with the problem. So if you have a support system, you're not going to be all alone. Um, I think, 
an important red flag, as just as you say that, worth underscoring, is if you're with someone who's promising you the world and is at the same time telling you your support system isn't what you think it is and is encouraging you to break ties or believe them or, or recognize them as the expert or why do you need these other people, I think that's worth looking closely at because good people or really genuine people don't want you to lose friends and family contacts and other people as reference points. Yeah, there's almost a cult-like quality to uh, predators, isn't there? They'll try to isolate you. They'll try to take you over. They won't let you interact with other people. They'll try to get you not to, not to maintain your normal connections. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be wary of that. That's a real sign that something is wrong. Um, you, you know, when we've talked about social... Go ahead, go ahead. I think that something we forget in this culture, uh, you know, we have so much salesmanship in this culture, which trains people to establish trust in five minutes, you know, or less. <laughs> <laughs> you go to use a car salesman and they, they're going to try to get you to trust them in two minutes. Real trust has to be earned. It takes a lot of time to establish trust. Um, we need to we need to be aware that we shouldn't trust someone just because they look good or feel good or sound good. Uh, you have to get to know them, and you have to see what you observe about them. You know, over a period of time before you get involved with them, especially before you make any major decisions. Well, that's so, where um, that's where the, the, the red flags that uh, and the toolkit that Wendy was talking about. So if somebody's telling you when they're selling you something or making their pitch that they're exactly like you, we've got a question, how could they really be exactly like me when I just met them two minutes ago? Right, and that that's a good example to use cognitive therapy to actually check out the logic and what... The, someone says to you, (laughs) it's hard to do in the middle of a situation, but later in thinking about it and reflecting on it, we might suddenly realize, well, that didn't make any sense at all, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that, you know, that can be a real sign that the person is trying to manipulate you rather than to be of genuine service to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing the reality check, being mindful about what's going on. Is extremely helpful. What would you say to have kids who are going to go off to college now? And we know, just as you said before, when you enter a new situation, we're going to live. You're going to you're going to you're going to um, study, uh, make friends. Very often, people feel very vulnerable to who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. What would you recommend? Well, yeah, I remember. You know, when I went to uh, college, like what that. It was a huge adjustment, and it took a long time for me to actually develop new relationships, and I left behind all the ones that I had in high school. And, and so it really is a kind of culture shock to, to start in college in many, many times. And I think, you know, the one thing, you know, is you need to maintain contact with your loved ones so that you have a home base. And you need to... Uh, uh, you need to uh, be reflective. You know, when you're 
you're moving into a dormitory and you're buying your things and for it, you know, you're going to meet people. It's going to be kind of exciting to meet all these new people. But if one of them wants to smoke, you you know, wants to use drugs with you, you have to be a little cautious about where you're going with them. Mm-hmm. So you need to allow time for friendships to develop because you're going to want to maintain, get, have instant friends, and that's not going to happen. Uh, so you need to allow times and get to know the person, and when you find that, you can have experiences with them that they are sincere and they can be trusted. Uh, then you gradually form a, a pool of people around you, and you'll feel really good about it. But if you rush mm-hmm. into it, you, you probably will get manipulated, uh, which happens frequently on these campuses. Mm. That's a whole subject in itself. So, Well, we're yeah. just about out of time, but I really like your suggestions of taking your time and building a um, social support system, as well as remind, remembering that home is another base of comparing and making sense of what you're feeling. I also love that you mentioned if a person can't be, hold your confidences and they can't maintain confidentiality, you really want to think twice about that connection. Right, absolutely. So, so we're going to take a break, and you're going to come back at the end of our next segment, but I thank you, Vic, for your ideas about how it is we protect ourselves, whether we're in a, an office or whether we're a new college co-ed. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking about stealth predators. We started with Wendy Patrick, who set the stage, and we've talked now with Vic Shermer, who shared what makes us vulnerable, how we all could be um, subject to the, to the work of very well Um, trained stealth predators and how we protect ourselves. Stay with us. We'll be back with Bob Klein, who's going to talk about the culture and whether it promotes misuse of people, the object of the stealth predator. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking about the stealth predator. We started with Wendy Patrick. Vic Sherma talked about how we could protect ourselves and how it is we are sometimes vulnerable to these pros. And now I'm going to talk to Dr. Bob Klein about who are the stealth predators and are we fueling them in any way? Dr. Klein is a clinical faculty member at the Yale School of Medicine, New Haven. He's a fellow of the American Psychological Association, a diplomat in group psychology. He's past president and distinguished life fellow of the American Group Psychotherapy Association. Bob Klein's the author of more than 100 publications and is the co-author and co-editor of seven books. His latest book with our other guest, Violence in America. Bob, welcome to Psych Up Live. Thanks for having me. Um, Bob, let's ask, you've had so much experience in the field. Who do you think becomes a stealth predator? Are they psychopaths? Are they narcissists? What what do you think our listeners should know? Who, Who are these stealth predators? Well, it's interesting that you begin by mentioning the uh, diagnoses of personality disorders like the uh, <clears throat> the antisocial person or the, uh, the narcissistic person. Many of these uh, stealth predators have characteristics associated with people who have diagnosable personality disorders, but they're sort of subclinical types. They don't quite meet the criteria to warrant that diagnosis. Uh, For example, uh, an antisocial person is usually someone who shows a pattern of uh, pervasive disregard for and violation of the rights of others. Uh, This is a person who doesn't conform to social norms, who can be deceitful, impulsive, irritable, aggressive, uh, who can be reckless when it comes to other people's needs and is consistently irresponsible and lacks remorse. He doesn't feel guilt or shame for doing things. Now, many of these social predators have a number of these characteristics, but they don't quite meet the criteria to warrant the diagnosis. And the same thing is true for the the narcissistic population of self-predators, those who get off on feeling powerful and influential. To warrant the diagnosis of a narcissistic personality, you have to have a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, an inordinate need to be admired and recognized, and you have to lack empathy. Well... Many of these folks have a number of these characteristics, but they don't quite 
meet all of the criteria. So they are what I would refer to as subclinical types of personality disorders. What's interesting and maybe worth mentioning is that for their grandiosity and their exploitation of others, they're really hidden deep inside. These are very needy people, so needy that they will step across other people, violate other people, hurt other people, like the man that Vic mentioned, who's bragging to Vic that he's going to take over the, um, the, the, the head of the clinic's job. So needy that they become unable to stop themselves or unwilling to stop themselves from hurting other people. Yes, I think that's true. They are very needy, and in the case of the the narcissistic personality, for example, this is somebody who needs to be constantly propped up by the admiration of others. This is a person who underneath feels very insecure and inadequate and needs to be admired. So... Coupled with that need, though, is another uh, fascinating piece, which is the need to see other people as being less than you. Mm. Um, you know, th- we're all, as citizens, we're involved in, a, in living by a social contract. But social predators feel they can disregard that. They can violate social norms and expectations as long as they can get away with it. They feel happy in doing it. And partly uh, that means they can rationalize their behavior if they see other people in devalued and stereotyped ways. If, for example, we can locate all the bad qualities in our culture, if we can locate them all in immigrants and refugees, for example, and label them as bad, undesirable, dangerous people who can't be trusted, if we can stereotype and devalue others, then if you're a social predator, you feel free in disregarding them as human beings. They're, mm-hmm. they're subhuman. And you can do whatever you want in the service of satisfying your own neediness. It's so important what you're saying, and I want to go back to Vic's point for a minute. So the social predator is banking on the fact that you're going to have a vulnerability, and they're going to use that to buoy themselves in their own inadequacy, and you're going to be the victim that allows them to buoy themselves. But one of the things that I think we we have to recognize is, yes, we are all vulnerable, but it doesn't mean we have to absorb the projection that the um, social predator uses. Because if I did something like send my pictures or I started to date this person or I wrote a check for this person's brainstorm of an idea I have to have a certain amount of self-compassion and realize this person was a pro, this person had no empathy for me, and if I absorb the projection that I'm an idiot and no one's going to hear my story, that's the real crime to me. Yes, I agree with that, Suzanne, and that, that leads to something else. 
when you feel you've been had, as you said earlier, or you feel you've been conned, you swallowed a, a bill of goods, you uh, accepted a quick and easy solution to a complicated problem, then you feel stupid. You feel ashamed. If you feel you've been taken in or conned, you don't want to broadcast that. You want to keep it private. And people feel ashamed. And keeping it secret allows the social predator to continue to operate unabated. Mm-hmm. That and allows is- the social predator to continue to do what he or she is doing. Your silence and your shame and your willingness to overlook it and not talk about it permits that person to keep doing what he or she is doing. And this is where Wendy mentioned, and I think all of us believe in, whether it's an online platform or a group, to hear you're not an idiot, you're human, and you're in the company of other people who've been taken by these pros really is very therapeutic and, you know, refueling. Absolutely. And, you know, on a broader level, I think, uh, you know, we're a culture that's based on immediacy and immediate solutions to complex problems. We have instant food, we have instant housing, we have instant communication, we have instant relationships. So, so people are vulnerable to thinking that complex issues can be uh, resolved instantly and simply. And when mm-hmm. somebody offers us that, that possibility, we're vulnerable to accepting it and, and taking it in. Yes, that's a very good point. Now, one of the things you mentioned when we talked about the show is you you wondered, is there a new normal in which, even though we have given voice through the Me Too culture to so many who have suffered in silence and have now gone public together with uh, situations of abuse um, from predators, do you think there's another part or another sort of theme in this culture that almost applauds the person who misuses someone, Bob? I, I definitely think there are a number of elements in our culture that support that. Uh, we're a culture that thrives upon success and power and accomplishment. It's competition and winning, sometimes winning at all costs. And it's a culture of narcissism. My needs, my interests, my wishes, my success that allows us to not take into consideration other people. We're a culture by history that says, be tough, be a rugged individualist. It doesn't say, be empathic. Be reflective, as Vic was suggesting. Be thoughtful. Be compassionate. We're a culture that often equates those values with being soft Mm -hmm. and being less than competent or being weak. So, you know, culturally, we admire these people to some extent who Mm -hmm. are able to thrive in this atmosphere. 
take for example, uh, I, I know you, you may have some concerns about this, but take for example Donald Trump. I often think of Trump as a, uh, a very powerful and important social model. I mean, he's the president of the United States. Other than important family members, he may be the single most important social model. But I think Trump is establishing a new normal. What is and is not acceptable. Um, he's a person who um, he behaves in unpredictable ways. He uses his position to intimidate, threaten the little people. He acts so impulsively that even his closest advisors don't know what he's going to say next. And he doesn't read or seek out expert opinion or listen to anyone else. He claims that he alone knows the answers and he alone can fix things. This is not a guy who emphasizes empathy and support and reflection. He's a guy who pursues maneuvering and manipulating. And, you know, I think these are values that have allowed him to ascend to a very powerful position. And I think he sets the tone. He's the new normal. He's the new model. I don't think it's any accident that the Me Too movement arose around the time of his candidacy and that people began to uh, single out social predators who were abusing women. If you look at Trump's history, I think, uh, you know, the real target... uh, is uh, Trump, not uh, not some of the people in the movie industry. Bob, in, <laughs> so the, interest of ta- in the interest <laughs> of time, let me just take what you just shared and said, in fact, then, if we have a model, whether it's the president or your father or the teacher or the pathological coach, the question becomes, and maybe we go back to social groups Do we immediately cow to this? Do we model that? Or do we actually balance it with other connections that will help us have options for models so that ruthlessness doesn't become the order of the day and so that we don't end up not only victims to stealth predators, but in fact, idealized stealth predators. You know, in the interest of time, we're going to have to stop, but I want to ask each of you um, for a quick take-home message. Um, Bob, if you had to give a take-home message, what would would it be? Um, I, I would say know and recognize your own vulnerabilities. Don't expect easy solutions difficult problems and be aware that we're a culture that sometimes condones and recognizes the exploitation of others for personal gain. Okay. How about you, Vic? I would totally agree with what Bob just said. It's a very important message, and I would add to that. You know, take care of yourself. Know who you are. Get to know yourself. People aren't familiar with themselves. Introduce yourself to yourself. Become familiar with some of your assets and vulnerabilities so that you're prepared to interact with people in a very difficult world that we live in today. 
Okay. I want to thank both of you for coming on. Um, you can find both uh, Vic Shermer and Bob Klein online and their books on Amazon. Dr. Wendy Patrick, you can find her at wendypatrickphd.com. Mostly I want to thank both of you and Wendy for raising our consciousness about the stealth predator, reminding us of our strengths and our vulnerabilities and our need to know ourselves as a main protection. Thanks for that. Um, thanks to my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week. Please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 